Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church Andover Campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing at all. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed on the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Henry Nowen fans in the room? couple of us? Well, uh, I don't cherish many of my books on my shelves, but I do his. Um, I regularly find myself drawn to Henry's challenges and his encouragements. Um, His books are like friends to me, old friends that sometimes I need to go and see and hang out with. Uh, And I needed uh, that friend this week. I needed Henry this week. I'm, I'm probably a lot like most of us in this room. Maybe the timing is a little bit different, but I bet you have times like I do when it's easy to get overwhelmed and tired and feeling pretty blah. Anybody? Um, uh, Pastors call that after Easter. It's in those moments that I I turn to Henry and I'm reminded of some really important truths. And and one of those I want to share with you today, this one that directly connects to this reading that Pastor Chad read for us a minute ago, and this guy, Peter. Uh, I'm going to show you the three truths, because, or or at least the the truth of a lie about our identity. All right, let me me show you. I'm going to put them on the screen for us. Um, Three lies of human identity. The first one is, I am what I have. The second, I am what I do. And the third one, I am what others say or think about me. Three lies of human identity. Uh, Let's just gauge this to see any truth in this. When was the last time that you were in a new situation, you were being introduced and someone wanted to know more about you? How did you answer? Uh, Was it with your job? Your position? Your status? Did you talk about home life? Your kids? Your spouse? Your puppies? We often respond to those questions like these with dignity answers, not identity answers, get dignity. What gives our life a sense of purpose? The things that we are proud of accomplishing, 
But those answers, those dignity questions, or those dignity answers, aren't who you are, not who I am. But for a lot of us, you take away those things, what we do, what we have, or what others say about us, and we're left with this kind of void, this question of, who am I really? So this gives us an opportunity then this morning to turn our attention to this guy, Simon Peter. Now, most of us know the story. We've read the Gospels. We know that Simon was this crusty fisherman who was living on the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we believe he was married. At least he had a mother-in-law, so that means something, right? From Scripture, uh, he's got a bunch of other fishermen that work with him in his crew, so he has a good operation. He's not loaded by any stretch of the means. He's not wealthy, but he's respected. And he's looked up to for what he did. And then Jesus comes along and he calls him to come and to fish for people. And Peter does what? Drops his nets, stops what he's doing, how he's earning a living, and he goes and he follows this traveling rabbi, which I'm sure just thrilled his wife. Peter is almost everybody I talk to, their favorite character in the New Testament. I mean, why not, right? He's fearless. He steps out of the boat to walk on the water. More than I would have done. He's impetuous. He's consistently putting his foot in his mouth, something I'm very familiar with. He's passionate. He's a proud disciple. And he promises to defend to the death his dearest friend. But then what happens? It all goes pear-shaped, doesn't it? Jesus is arrested, and Peter goes from right there to following at a distance. And around this, this fire, this charcoal fire in a courtyard, charcoal, that's important, Peter fails miserably. He denies Jesus how many times? Three. And as he does, that rooster crows. One gospel writer says that as the crow calls, Jesus and Peter lock eyes from across the courtyard. It's one of the most devastating moments in Scripture. And Peter, the strong, Peter the impetuous, Peter the proud, turns into Peter the done. Following the trial, Peter is, he's fearful, he's disgraced, he goes into hiding. And on Easter Sunday morning, Mary comes in to make her announcement. Peter and the others, they scoff, but then Peter and John get up and they run to the tomb. The young guy makes it first. And they see it empty. And, and, and the gospel says that Peter goes home. Goes back to his lodging, wherever he was staying. That's it. Now Jesus shows up to the two travelers on the road to Emmaus. Great story. And that, that night he shows up in the inner, upper room. And then later on he shows up again to prove to Thomas that doubting is not a spiritual gift. But in all of this, have you ever noticed, where's Peter? He's not mentioned. Gospel writers don't say anything. And Jesus told his friends in that upper room, I want you guys to go back to Galilee and I want you to go up to the mountains and wait for me. And Peter, well, he goes to Galilee, but where do we find him in this passage? Not in the mountains. He's down at the sea. Goes to the water. Peter has a few disciples that are still kind of hanging around him and he tells them, hey guys, I'm going fishing. What's Peter doing? Well, he's going back to where it all started. He's, he's going back to his old life. He's going back to this place where he had purpose, where he did things, where he wasn't known as a failure. He's going back 
for what Peter came naturally rather than to what came spiritually. And so they fish all night and they catch zip, nada, nothing, right? As they're coming back to shore, this man shouts uh, to them uh, from the shoreline, try the other side. Now, whether it's out of habit or exhaustion or just something familiar in the guy's voice, they toss the nets over the other side and they catch 153 large fish. 153. No idea why that number's there. Just a way to say a whole bunch. One of the fishermen says, it's the Lord. And for the first time we sense, we see in Peter this spark of hope. And he grabs his shirt and he jumps in the water and he swims to the shoreline. And Jesus greets them with this, this breakfast already made. Another charcoal fire. Only two times in scripture it's used. When Jesus betrays, and now this morning. Now, I like to think that, that Peter comes up onto the beach, and he crawls up, and, and he runs up, and he embraces Jesus. But that's not what John tells us. It just says that Peter swims to the shore, and then the others have to fight the catch. And after it's brought in, Jesus eats with his friends, and then asks for Peter, hey, let's have a little one-on-one -on -one time. Woo, can you imagine that indigestion? That is not a conversation I'm sure Peter was hoping to have. That's the most famous part of the story. Jesus and Peter, they have this heart to heart. And Jesus asks Peter, Simon, do you know, did you notice that? Doesn't call him Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, the word that, that Jesus uses is agape, and some folks think that really matters a lot. I don't know, not really sure. But what I think this morning for us is really important is the whole more than these part. More than, more than what? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than you love these other disciples? What they think of you? Sometimes the translation will be read, do you love me more than these others? do, as if to say, they love me, how about you? It's an important question that Jesus asks, and Peter responds, Lord, you know I, I, I love you. And Jesus doesn't skip a beat. Then feed my lambs, nourish them, encourage them, invite them to grow. A lamb is a baby. So help the babies mature. And Jesus asks the question again, but this time he, he omits that more than these. He says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, and Peter says, yes, I love you as my very own brother, Jesus. And Jesus says, don't more than tend my sheep. Continue to tend, continue to care and rule and oversee and protect my sheep as they grow. Sheep are older lambs. And Jesus says it a third time, do you love me? And this time Peter is hurt. Well, no kidding, right? No shocker to Jesus or Peter or anybody else who's listening. Three times the same question. Broken. Broken Peter is being offered this opportunity right here now to reaffirm all, everything that he had denied in the courtyard. Peter's grieved by the moment. Deeply moved is the Greek word. I don't think it's offended Though reliving those three denials was certainly something that didn't feel good. I think Peter, hurt by this, is, is, him, is a way of saying that he was overwhelmed. That Jesus walked him through his sorrow. 
walked him through. Jesus didn't say, hey, Pete, it's okay, no problem. That whole denial thing, eh, we'll just pass over it. Nah, Jesus walks him through something and then offers Peter something even greater. Even if all the others fail and run away, I won't. That's Peter the bold. That's Peter the brash, right? That's Peter in the upper room. Around the fire in a courtyard, he loses it. On the beach, around another fire, Peter says, you know it all. You alone know if I'm going to fail or not. You alone know the actions that will come. You alone know the actions that I've already done. But Lord, I love you. Jesus says, then feed, nourish, support, equip my sheep. Those who are still following you, Peter, need you to give them this teaching, this peace that you've just uncovered, this heart that you are now displaying. They need this from you. Feed them. A prior to the courtyard, Peter, the bold mouthpiece for the disciples, he's in the inner circle. He, he's the one who's asked to do certain things. Others come to him expecting to have access to, to Jesus and access to answers. And after the courtyard, Peter has squat, nothing left. His denial is complete. He's got nothing to give. He does nothing. And his standing is absolutely worthless. Peter was a wreck. So he does the only thing that he thought he could do. The only natural response for him to gain some kind of identity back was to go backwards. Ever been in a rough spot and went backwards? Some say Peter was, um, was reinstated on that seashore. I don't like that word. Certainly there's a, a truth in that and, and how he will lead the other disciples, how he will lead the other church. But there's more than reinstatement that what Jesus is doing with Peter here. I think it's a resurrection. I think it's a whole new birth. I think Peter's identity isn't from now on in what he does, but in who he loves. See, every time Jesus asks, do you love me? Not only is Peter undoing what was done in the courtyard around the old charcoal fire, he's also being told how much Jesus loves him. And Peter's whole life in this one moment becomes rooted in one clarifying trait. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. The one clarifying trait is that he is loved by Jesus and he loves Jesus with all that he has. The tomb, Peter runs and then he goes home. He sits in the shadows until it's time to go back fishing. And when Peter realizes it's Jesus, he leaves it all again. He swims to his friend. But it was when they walked and when they talked that I can't help but see in my mind the greatest embrace of all time occurring. G Peter the broken. Peter the restored. Peter the resurrected being embraced by his Savior and by his Lord. And Jesus says to this undone, redone fisherman, follow me. The hand is outstretched, the offer is given. Now, uh, the question isn't what you can do or what you make or what others think of you. You may find your value in any number of those things or relationships, but that's not who you are. Let me tell you, well, Peter heard. 
Let me tell you this morning, if if you're, you're brave enough to hear it, who God says you are. Let me invite you to think spiritually rather than naturally. Okay? You ready for this? Put everything down. Listen. You are a beloved child of the Creator. You are a co-heir with the resurrected king. You are a recipient and dwelling place of the power and breath of the Spirit of God. You are dearly loved, beloved. You are the one in whom Christ dwells and in whom Christ is pleased. That's your identity if you have the courage to accept it. Peter's big moment wasn't in the failure around the first charcoal fire. His big big moment was was hearing the Lord and responding, you know all things. I love you. Peter's identity of loving and being loved by Jesus would take him where? Back to Jerusalem, where he would preach sermons on the day of Pentecost, and shortly thereafter, where thousands of people would choose Jesus over everything else. He would would feed the new believers. He would tend to maturing disciples. He would write letters that we're still reading today that would equip the the church leaders. He would say, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it, eager to serve God. Sound familiar? Sounds like a beachside conversation redone. Father Larry Gillick is a spiritual director in Nebraska. And he tells the story of teaching a group of third grade students. And after the teaching time, one of them, a young girl, walks up to him to have further conversations. And a few moments into the discussion, the young girl becomes astonished. She's incredulous. She blurts out, as only a third third grade student can do. She says, Father Gillick, you're blind. It was true. He had lost his sight around the same age that this young girl had. She had watched them teach and she had spent time with them. But she didn't realize until she had come close and talked with them that he was blind. And he responded tenderly to her, well, that's not really news to me. But before he could continue and say anything more about it, she matter-of-factly said, but that means you don't know what you look like. Now her statement silenced him. What do you say to a third grader like that? To a statement like that? But before he could think and process and say something, she reached up to the man's face, took them in her little hands, and then said, you are beautiful. Now most of us are like Peter in a boat. We've we've screwed up, we've denied, we've been hurt, we've hurt others for a lot of different reasons. And we get wrapped up in what we provide or what we can do or what we have. And the truth is, the resurrected of the Savior, the resurrected Savior of the world, isn't asking for any of that other stuff in order for you to know who you are, to have an identity. He's asking one simple thing. Do you love me? Do you know that I love you? He's asking you to trust that when he, the creator of the universe, our Abba, takes us by the hand, by the the face, that all he sees is the beautiful and beloved one of the Father. Do you have the, the guts 
to believe it. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lived. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life, life is worth the living just because he lives. Sounds like a song Peter could have sung. How about you? to stop thinking naturally and start living spiritually? Is it time for you to say, Lord, you know all things, you know I love you? Is it time to let him hold your face in his hands and say, you are beautiful? Jesus would say to Peter, follow me. That same call is being offered even today.